0: now entering nerdist.com
1: welcome to the writers panel i'm ben blacker the creator and moderator of the podcast i created the show because i wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing i've had more than a thousand writers on the show so please check the archives to find more writers and more tv shows of interest to you hey are you in los angeles Because I can't stop doing live shows. Um, I'm doing a couple of live shows coming up this weekend at the Dynasty Theater, which is a really cool new space. It's actually a very old space that's been revamped uh, sort of close to downtown Los Angeles. Um, The first uh, show is on March 10th. It's a really cool show that I've wanted to do for a long time. I've been working on this idea for like a decade in which musicians, comedians, and authors perform and discuss the work that inspired them. Uh, it's hosted by actor and improviser Tani Newsom, who is terrific. You know her from Bajillion Dollar Properties. If you listen to the Spontanea Nation podcast, she's on that all the time. Um, she's also a singer with musician John Langford, among others. And so she's going to host this thing. She's going to talk to authors who are going to read from other people's works that inspired them. She's going to talk to musicians who are going to perform songs um, that other people have written that inspired them and is sort of in the DNA of their music. We're going to talk to comedians. Our first show is March 10th, as I said, at 7 p.m. at the Dynasty Theater. Uh, Our guests are Ellen Raskin, who wrote the Who co-wrote with Gabby Dunn the terrific "I Hate Everyone But You," which is a really fun book, a very funny book. Uh, Allison is terrific. She's you're gonna like her. And uh, our musical guest is Caitlin Tarver, who was a Disney kid. She was on the show Big Time Rush, uh, but she's now a really successful musician and a really good musician. Um, you're gonna want to check her out. Her new EP is called Tired Eyes. But in this show, she's doing a bunch of songs which you don't want to miss, especially if you love the 90s. And then the very next day, March 11th at 2 p.m., a laid-back afternoon show, is the next live Dead Pilot Society, which is the podcast that I produce with Andrew Reich, writer Andrew Reich, uh, in which we do table reads of pilots that were bought and developed but never produced. So this is the first time that these scripts are being read out loud. Uh, usually it's the first time that the writer is hearing them, which is really cool. On March 11th at 2 p.m., we have scripts by Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein, who wrote Never Been Kissed, who wrote the upcoming uh, I Feel Pretty. We have a script, uh, script by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, who wrote the Ride Along series, as well as the really good movie The Invitation. Not that Ride Along isn't good. I'm sure it's good. Uh, We also have a script from podcaster uh, Elizabeth Lame. Her name is not Totally Lame. She created and hosts the Totally Lame podcast as well as Totally Married and Totally Mommy, and that's a really cool script as well. Uh, And we've got an amazing cast, as usual, including Kate McCoochie of Garfunkel and Oates, uh, Jessica Roth, who was in Happy Death Day, which was a really fun movie, uh, Scott Michael Foster, who is on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, he's he was the love interest in this uh, most recent season. Lucas Neff from Raising Hope, among many other things, a great actor, a very nice and funny guy. Um, Jason Ritter, our old pal Jason Ritter, is in this. Utkarsh Ambudkar, who is from uh, White Famous, you've seen him in everything. Uh, he will be in this show. Jamie Denbo of Ron and Beverly and of a million other things will be in this show. Uh, we've got a really... That, and that's not even all the cast. That's a whole bunch of the cast. So come to Dead Pilot Society on March 11th, 2 p.m. Come the night before to Cover to Cover, March 10th, 7 p.m. Both at the Dynasty Theater. You can go to Dynasty Typewriter. Dot .com that's actually the name of the theater dynastytypewriter.com where you can get tickets to both of those and we actually we kept because I have these two shows on one weekend we kept them pretty uh we kept them pretty inexpensive so hopefully you can come to both they're both going to be a lot of fun and very different kinds of shows uh, I've got some more stuff coming up in April but I'll tell you about that next month um, and in the meantime that's probably it As I mentioned, last month I'm working on a few major projects uh, in TV and in comics, and I'm not allowed to tell you about them, but when I am, I will for sure let you know. And for now, I really do want to hear from you. What writers haven't I had on the podcast that you want to hear from? What am I not asking that you want to know? Email me at nerdiswriters at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, please like the Writer's Panel on Facebook, visit writerspanel.tumblr.com, and if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes, um, it really is helpful, especially as some changes are taking place behind the scenes, uh, the more we can get sort of visible on the iTunes charts and stuff like that, um, the more helpful it is. So if you, even if you just leave a star, leave a five star, uh, just like you do for a Lyft ride, Um it will be helpful to me. And, you know, I like to read your reviews. They've been really positive, and they do make me feel good. So thank you. Enjoy today's episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight, tonight or whenever
2: the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, the first thing I'm going to do is say welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to... Introduce yourselves on the microphones uh, and tell us some of the places where maybe the listener has seen your name on their screen. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is how
2: we start. Kayla, let's start with you.
3: Hi, um, I'm Kayla Albert, and I have uh, a very varied resume. Um, I just finished working on a CBS drama called Code Black. Before that, I wrote Flowers in the Attic movie and the sequel but I also worked on Up All Night and uh, Ally McBeal, among other, and Confessions of a Shopaholic. Mm-hmm. So pretty broad range. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, good. We'll talk about it, Lila.
2: Uh, hi, my name is Lila Cohan Michio. Um, I started my career on a NBC show that was canceled before it aired called Nest Caller uh, and, then um, sure. on, yeah. uh, and then I was on yeah and then I did a couple seasons on Awkward on MTV uh, I was on Telenovela on NBC uh, and I was on Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix very good a lot of weird stuff I'm
0: Dwayne um, I'm Dwayne Johnson Cochran and I have a very varied career so <laughs> um, I started as a TV writer for John Wells on a show called Angel Street many years ago and then I created a show called Minor Adjustments for NBC. It was on for a couple of years. And then I directed and wrote a film called Love in Action in Chicago uh, for HBO. And then, um, let's see, what else do I do? Oh, um, I made a lot of documentaries in the mm-hmm. last few years in different parts of the world. And re- recently I made um, a film with Laurie Kilmartin mm-hmm. called uh, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. I, directed the live show, and I uh, produced a show called Whitewater, a movie called Whitewater, which was on TV1, a period piece about the 60s, and I just sold, and I'm doing a series now uh, for FX, a series that we can talk about called Heist 88. Yes, terrific.
1: Um, Yeah, you guys were talking before we started, you guys have all recently sold uh, pilots or series, and that's the thing I'd kind of like to start talking about. Um, And Duane, let's start with you. You know, since you brought it up, High 88 Eight um, is a ten-part series. Uh, sold yeah, 10 for, part, mm-hmm. at, sold to FX. Um, tell, can you let's talk about the pitching process? I wanted to kind of take this apart for all of us uh, and start just by talking about what that pitch was like.
0: Um, well, what happened is I had I worked in news media in Chicago for many years, many many years ago, and I had this story about these four young, five young men who worked for. First National Bank of Chicago, and they, it is a true story. And I reported on the story when I worked at PBS as a producer and a reporter. And it was one of those stories that you have and you you throw it in your bag and says, "Well, interesting story. It happened a long time ago." And then I pulled it out a couple of years ago, and I thought this could be a good movie. And I thought, wait a minute, it could be a good series too. <laughs> <laughs> what made it a good what series? Because all the characters are very interesting. Mm-hmm. They all had the circumstances of why they decided to that they wanted to rob First National Bank of Chicago of a hundred million dollars, but they uh, were persuaded to do this by this one man named Armand Moore, who was a mastermind, a criminal mastermind. And these guys really existed. I mean, this guy, you know, wanted to steal four hundred million dollars from the Federal Reserve in Detroit, but he settled for this one bank in Chicago. And at the time, it was the second largest bank in America. And he was uh, just got convicted of a crime, and he decided to go to Chicago when he had 30 days before he went to jail to do another crime. <laughs> you know, cri- it's kind of, kind of sure. an annuity when he gets out of prison. You know. Why not? So he said, "I have 30 days. There's no back then. There was no monitoring. You know." And he says, oh. diem. <laughs> exactly. And he certainly did. And he recruited four employees who worked at the bank for many years. They were young guys. They were in their twenties. They hmm. both, all of them, had had uh, kind of associate degrees. They weren't part of the, you know, the people who went to the right right schools. They were young black kids who worked lived in the projects, and they worked in, in what they call the back of the bank. Mm-hmm. And he recruited them in three weeks to steal the money. Wow! And he wow. did it in a way in which he said, "You're not going to take this money out in bags. You're not going to use guns. You're going to take this out through transfers. you are going to transfer this money to Europe." to make it all d- be done in very, very quick, quick time, and he did. And he That's trained really them
1: all. well. Don't give it away. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: <laughs> come on, we we want to watch the series. Okay, so I, so, so
1: like so, a lot of us, you know, we have these ideas, and I think it's
0: what is what's the next step? What did you do with this well, material? I have, I have actor friends, mm-hmm. I have you know director friends, producer friends, um, showrunner friends, you know, and um, my good friend Courtney B Vance, who was on an FX show. He got an Emmy, and I said, "Courtney, I have a show for you." <laughs> he said, uh, what is it? <laughs> so I said, "Just read this," and he read it and says, "This is great. I can play that guy." Yeah, mm-hmm. this. So quick. you gave him like the the article, the information. I gave him the article, and I okay. also gave him my my ten page treatment. Okay, you know what I wanted to pitch, and uh, he said, "Let's go." That's great. So then I called. Um, I said, "Let's let's put together the team." Mm-hmm. I don't want people to ask too many questions.
3: <laughs> I wanna,
0: smart, yeah, yeah, very smart. I, I don't want to go into. I pitch so many things over the year, and I'm sure everybody here has pitched a lot of stuff. And they're always asking you the those questions on the couch. Well, who's your director? Mm-hmm. Who's your producer? Who's your showrunner? Blah blah blah. I decided I wanted to have them all on the couch with me.
1: Yeah, and I think this is you know more and more common. We're seeing this a lot more often. Let me pause you mm-hmm. there. I mean, Kayla, has this been your experience too? Have you? seen in the past 10 years of working in the business that packaging has become as important as the
3: idea? Um, I think that is true in premium cable and streaming. Mm-hmm. And I think it is not the case in network television. Interesting. And in fact, I think you almost need to have the package to sell something to premium cable, to, to an HBO, to an FX, even to Amazon, Netflix. And actually, I think in network television it doesn't always help you. In fact, I think they almost want it a little bit more stripped down. And vertical integration has sort of ebbed and flowed. I think right now we're seeing in network television that they really, the studio and the network want to be in sync. You want to have, if you want to be at ABC, you want to go with ABC Studios. I mean, that's been true for a while, but I think it's even more true now. But I don't think you need to have uh, a director. Mm -hmm. I mean... You don't need to have casting. I think what happens in network TV, they they have it's a much broader audience, and sometimes you might have an amazing actor attached that doesn't necessarily mean something for right. that specific network. Yeah,
1: they have ideas about what is meaningful right. to them.
3: And the truth is, the other half of it is, you know, premium cable is very enticing for. High-end talent like Courtney B. Vance, so you're more likely to get a very A-list. Your Julia Roberts is doing mm. a show on yeah. Netflix, I think, or Am- HBO, wait, HBO. HBO, HBO. HBO. Yeah. So she's not going to come and do your NBC pitch. So it's kind of yeah. Uh, it, you get you get a kudos for doing that. You get all the the bells and whistles for premium cable, but network is still...
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and, and Lila, you were saying you just sold to uh, YouTube Red. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was there a package put together? How did you bring no. it to No. How so, did it wind up
2: there? You know, it's been a whole thing. Uh, so I wrote this script uh, a while back in late 2014, uh, and it was the kind of thing where it was like an idea that was in my head that, you know, I had to just sort of write out. And I wrote it, and then we had like a bunch of sort of false starts of attaching producers to it. And in the meantime, my agent at the time was using it as a sample. uh, And Tracy Katzky read it as a sample for Santa Clarita Diet and was like, hey, who's taking this out? And my agent was like, no one. Uh, (laughs) So we went and then we decided to pitch it because it's it's called Widow. It's a dark comedy about a young woman whose husband dies while they're in the middle of a rough patch. uh, And she comports herself very poorly. Um, And it's, you know, it's a hard tonal thing. But it's also like, I think it's, but by necessity uh, very much a premise pilot mm-hmm. uh, so I thought the pitch was helpful to see like where it's going, what other episodes of the show that don't have her husband dying on page 10 might be like <laughs> um, and so we talked about the pitch and it was a lot of like I think because we didn't have that package like I think premium was like eh and then like mm-hmm. regular tables kind of like not it's like really weird and dark <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so then I'm like who knows if I should be saying this, but, like, my agent was like, let's just say that you wrote it now, that you were so excited that you wrote it. And I was like, sure, sure why not? <laughs> uh, so we sent it back out, and we sent it to places that we hadn't pitched, including YouTube Red, which was kind of a new platform, sure. like, that hadn't been around four months earlier when we had pitched. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: so,
2: <That's> <laughs> um, they loved the script, and they had me come in, and I was truly... About three weeks postpartum, uh, went in, oh pitched out the season, was like 50% <laughs> asleep, um, <laughs> and was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Like, I just went to Playa Vista, uh, unclear what's going to come <laughs> of it. And then they called me like two days so later, like, yeah, we want to do a pilot. Uh, so it's been great. Uh, That's
1: interesting. And and so the pilot existed.
2: The pilot, the script existed, which has also been nice, um, I think. You know, the hope at least is in that situation you get a, they know what they're getting, mm-hmm. and they know what they yeah. purchased, uh, which sometimes I think with pitches they're like, wait, we did purchase this show, but I don't know if yeah. we want that.
1: Especially with pitches yeah. where it has these tonal, totally. the tonal specificity.
2: Totally. So this has been nice, uh, having them just sort of have been purchased. Mm-hmm the script itself. So now we're in the middle of pilot preparation. And
1: did, were there notes in the past, you know, month or I two, whatever haven't. it's been?
2: Uh, you know what? By the time this airs, uh, we'll already be shooting. So I'll just sure. say without jinxing <laughs> at this point, I haven't heard any notes from them. Like, all the <laughs> notes have been from, uh, I'm doing it with, you know, Tracy and uh, mm-hmm. at CatCo and then Aaron Kaplan and Dana Honor at Capitol. Uh, and, you know, there's a notes from Capitol about just, like, more budget stuff than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure once we attach an actress I'm gonna do a pass for that. Mm-hmm. But so far it's been pretty, that's pretty chill. Valid. Uh, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. So I think right now, right now they mostly seem preoccupied with attaching a star. Okay. So that's where we're at right now.
1: <laughs> and let me let me just ask before we move on, how how does that work for them? I mean I know these places have these lists, right? Yes.
2: They came to us <laughs> with a they came to us with a list of talent that they were interested in. Some people weren't necessarily available. I think it was more of a, like, this is the genre of actress Mm -hmm. we're looking for. Um, And so now we've kind of been, uh, you know, we've just been sort of, like, compiling our list. We have a casting agency. So we're at the same time, uh, you know, the show, obviously, it's called Widow. It has the titular Widow uh, is the huge big part. And then also, like, her mother is a series regular, so obviously we have to wait to cast that till we know who she is, and we kind of want to wait to cast the husband till we know who she is. So we've been reading for a couple of other parts and doing sessions for that, uh, and uh, meanwhile, we're sort of going out to right. actresses for this big part and hopefully after the holidays we will have an answer about sure. it uh, well
1: congratulations thank by you by the time yeah. people hear this it's done and by the time people do successful. this I'm
2: in Vancouver uh, <laughs> shooting pilot exactly. uh, buying a winter coat for the first time in several years
1: <laughs> uh, Kayla let's talk about your pilot sure. um, what what is it this year
3: this year <laughs> um, this year I knew due to various things but I knew I wanted to do a network pilot mm-hmm. and I had Code Black, even though it was a CBS show, was for ABC Studios, and I had a relationship with them, and I wanted to do a show for ABC Studios for ABC. Mm-hmm. So I actually sort of backed into it, meaning I was trying to come up with an idea, and I sort of was tossing around things, and I came up with this one idea that just stuck with me, and, and it was like sort of right in front of my face based on someone I knew from high school – about multi level marketing companies. <gasps> <laughs> so, for those of you listeners who don't know what that is, you probably have seen them. Uh, and they're specifically geared towards women these days, but they're basically direct sales companies where you sell cosmetics or skincare or leggings or yeah, jewelry, vitamins, vitamins supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, A friend of mine got, you know, an acquaintance really from high school got involved and suddenly my Facebook feed was filled with these videos and Amish, like an Amish woman who won a white stallion because she doesn't get the white Mercedes from this company. And it was so bananas. I kind of went down the rabbit hole of looking at these YouTube videos and I was like, now this is a show. So I pitched it to my agent and my manager and they both didn't really know what it was. And I said, just watch this video. So I sent them this video from the general training conference of this one company they I mean I got a call back within 10 seconds like we're in we're in we want to see this so anyway I came up with a pitch and actually went out to a whole bunch of different producers at different studios we were just kind of Mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out where to go but I had worked with this uh Jason Reed who um, I had done some movies for him when he was a film executive at Disney and we had a great relationship and he had just hired Sabrina Wind who had produced Desperate Housewives and it seemed like a perfect fit so I sort of jumped on board with them developed the pitch further we went to the studio I mean they jumped on board right away Gave me 40,000 notes, and then I went into, or, but mostly additive. It's like, we want to know more about this. We want more of this. We want more of this. So then what's interesting is I went into the network, who were very primed and excited to hear it. Um, and this this really fit into what they were looking for, and no one else had pitched anything like it. Hmm. And I think within, let's say I had 17 pages of a pitch, four pages in, they said, you're done pitching, we're buying it. Wow! I, like, threw the rest yeah. out. That's crazy. Yeah. Congrats! Yeah. Wow. that's, that's amazing. amazing. That was really good. But I also it was a very specific world. Yeah, it's a very specific point of view. They know my voice, and I have sort of a a dark comic voice, even though, and I do a lot of drawing, so I do I like to do a lot of emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think they just trusted me enough, and they loved the sort of world of this. I think a lot of people had come in trying to copy This Is Us and do kind of like weepy family melodrama or they had done a Love Actually There were they have like 10 Love Actually <laughs> knockoffs. And this is not that. This is about down and out women in suburban Arizona who are trying to get by and it just really speaks to what's happening That's interesting. in the country. I
1: want to go back to a thing you said about sort of knowing you wanted to do ABC for ABC and looking at what that brand meant and backing into the idea. I mean, it seems like It was the idea they needed and wanted, but wasn't what they were getting. So what were you seeing in what their brand is that maybe wasn't This Is Us and and isn't, you know, these sort of big soaps?
3: Right, well... Number one, I was just passionate about the idea. Sure. So I feel like if you're passionate about an idea and it's original, as opposed mm-hmm. to listening every year, all the networks, and this is not so true in premium cable, but this is very true in networks. They, We need a medical show. We need, a, we need right. this. Or that show's a hit on that network. We want one for ourselves. And so what happens is, you know, they say, we want, a vi- we want this is us. So you've got to figure there's 15 writers pitching them mm-hmm. this is us. Right. Knockoffs. Five of them are selling them. <laughs> so I just kind of ignored their mandate, and I just did what I was passionate about. And it happened to have lined up. And what was interesting, it was sort of a slightly later in the development season, and it was not part of their mandate, but suddenly their mandate changed. Mm-hmm. They had this big meeting at ABC and ABC Studios that they really wanted to do shows about what's happening in America right now as opposed to sort of <laughs> – fantasy soaps. They didn't want to do scandal per se right right now. They didn't want to do dynasty. They didn't want to do rich, fancy people. They wanted to do kind of a slightly more um, grittier broader mm-hmm. thing. And so
0: it just there, right? lucked in. Yeah. It fits what? in right into what's going on in America it's,
3: right it, now. It really does. And I think part of why I got passionate about it and why I even stumbled into it is because it's happening. Mm-hmm. And once I started going down the rabbit hole, I realized how many people I knew. And then I started doing the research. And this was part of my pitches. And and we live in a little bubble in L.A., but even so, one in seven households in America is involved in an MLM <sighs> company. One in seven. <sighs> I'm obsessed. A, a woman
0: friend of mine, I was at a dinner party, and she gave me her card and said, do you know any women who would be interested in doing this? I said, what is this? It was a card. She's selling clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a pyramid market,
3: market. It's a pyramid. Yeah, it's and, a pyramid it's, it's a loose pyramid scheme. Uh, yeah. Is not illegal. Right. Okay. And there are some people who do really well. But actually what it is— is it's the ultimate version of capitalism, yeah. which is some people do really well and some people don't. It's a Funny. hustle. <laughs> yeah. But, like, look, people do make money selling sure. the products. Right. And my sister-in-law in France um, is, like, the head of marketing for a big corporation that is one of these companies. And I ended up realizing I had all these sort of tangential yeah. connections. Yeah. Uh, but uh, That's
1: really neat. All right, I want to pick up that. Yeah, in please, a minute. Yeah, please, keep going. Um, but, Duane, I want to talk about So you, you brought this to FX and did they they picked it up for ten episodes, right?
0: Well, that's the idea. Yeah, I'm doing the pilot now. Um, I mean, we had a sort of bidding war mm-hmm. with Amazon and HBO. Must be tough. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet. The, the very first pitch, HBO said they wanted to buy it, and we had twelve places to go. Oh wow! Jesus. So we had this in our back pocket, and uh, that's amazing. It was yeah. very nice to have that, and. You know HBO is great. It's mm-hmm. like the Cadillac of television, right? The premier cable, I guess. And I thought it'd be great there. Um, but I thought about Sunday night, and that's when they premiere all their shows. Mm-hmm. And everyone's trying to be in that funnel.
1: Yeah. You mm-hmm. know,
0: and you're part of that that long development process. Absolutely. And uh, everybody I got was on working on the OJ show. You know, we the Hemingway. He's my director and producer, and mm-hmm. then I brought in. Uh, Pam Vise who worked on mm-hmm. CSI, and and I brought people who if FX kind of knew. I said, mm-hmm. Let's put them around this thing, and they mm-hmm. we went for it, and they gave us a good offer.
1: So oh, that's fantastic. So that's what we're working on now. And um, so the, let's talk about the writing process mm-hmm. for you. Um, how has it been with them? Like you, you have a story to follow, right? Mm-hmm. And you have these, as you say, these really interesting characters, yeah. and that's what makes it a, a ten episode series. Um, how do you start to break that down? How do you start to find out what the, figure out what the pilot is and then how the, how the story lays out?
0: Well, it's a heist story. So it's, mm-hmm. you know kind of like what's going to happen. They're going to get the money or they're not going to get the money. So how do you keep people engaged in a show yeah. about four or five characters when you know at the end they're going to get this money or they're going to lose this money? So I had to think about all the circumstances of all these characters, who they are now, and all the things that they're scared about, scared of, where they are, where their lives are, where they think they can be, and bring that through through their point of view. So every episode we change the point of view. Hmm. The first episode becomes the uh, the mastermind, his point of view, and then we the second episode the same thing. This, the third we go to. Our sort of emotional hero, mm-hmm. and he's one of the guys at the bank. He's been there for eight years. He's never moved up. Then we shift to his office mate, sure. and he has a wife and a kid, and he doesn't want to work there anymore. Then mm-hmm. we shift to another guy who, so, you know, we just keep shifting, and then we go back to a history of banking, and we go, and we go even further, and how the banking system has not only screwed over people like these people who are really poor. But how the banking system from 1500s to this present day has wow. created the banking system we're in today. Huh. And then we go from there to the heist. That's fascinating. So we're trying to keep people kind of engaged, not just in a show about five people trying to steal money, right? but what is the banking system in the world right. really like. It ha- actually has something to say. <laughs> something to um, say.
1: How did you land on the mastermind being your pilot point of view? Uh, he's so
0: interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's uh, he's in prison right now. Mm-hmm. Um He's like Hannibal Lecter. He can convince anybody to do anything at any time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can convince you to take your shoes off right now, eat your shoe. I mean, he just is amazing in terms of a, a manipulator. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this guy has to be, it has to be his story. Mm-hmm. And Courtney to me is one of those guys who has this sort of breadth of personality and character building that I can create this guy around sure. him. And that's why I decided the movie is about, the show is about him, mm-hmm. but it's also about these victims that mm-hmm. he just kind of brings into something. Because they're mm-hmm. these are innocents. Mm-hmm. They they start out that they way. They start out that way, <laughs> way and they become corrupted by him. Interesting. So, that's, so where are you that's in the process right now? Uh, right now I'm writing the pilot. I'm okay. almost, almost done.
1: What is your What does your day look like? You're writing this on your own. You don't work with a partner or anything. Right. So what does your day look like when you're writing a pilot? Um, (laughs) We're going to get deep into process,
2: you guys. (laughs) I love it.
0: (laughs) I keep thinking about the things that scare my characters. Mm -hmm. So I I really think about that a lot. So I write a lot about things that they don't want to to happen to them Mm -hmm. as almost the first thing when I'm writing this story. So every day I write a few pages, a few more pages, and I think about the characters. Um, I think about the characters in episode four and five and six, too, you know, so... I don't know if I'm going to write the whole thing, mm-hmm. but I might, you know, mm-hmm. it depends on But what you have on. this map in your I head, you know, you kind of know how it's going to go, yeah. and you know these and characters. Yeah, I'm mapping the whole thing out to, to the 10th episode,
1: right? Um, what are your concerns in a pilot? What are the challenges that you're facing? Because there has to be so much story here, and this character is clearly so magnetic, it feels like you just want to tell everything. So, so where are you sort of drawing the line, and what, what are the tough parts of writing this pilot?
0: Um, keeping people engaged in a story where there's not a lot of guns, mm-hmm. not a lot of stereotypical things I see black people do. There's intellectualism. There's, a, there's conventional wisdom going on in this story. There's a person who is trying to convince someone to do something in a world that we all kind of live in, the banking world, and you're expecting something else from these young characters. But they're, I'm trying to elevate sort of the genre of what mm-hmm. do you think people who look like this are doing. Mm-hmm. These, they wear suits every day to work, but they also happen to be very, very good at their jobs. Mm. And they also are kind of aggrieved. They feel like they're never going to move up in their jobs. So I'm thinking all the time of how you kind of not necessarily turn a story to stereotype upside down, but transcend mm-hmm. what you expect a character to be like.
1: Well, it seems like transcending the genre that we expect. Also, yes. I mean, this is a crime story, right? It's a crime and we have story certain expectations, right?
0: Of that. But you think about the best sort of heist stories, you know, uh, the the French heist stories like Riffifi <laughs> or you know, mm-hmm. Coup de Toucheon, which is this French uh, great story that uh, you know, at, uh, Jim Thompson wrote. These are great yeah. crime stories that are heist movies, mm-hmm. or even even like Ocean's Eleven, which is a heist story. It's all about how you manipulate people to do something you want to do and everyone's in the middle figuring it out and then there's a hook and all of a sudden happens and the lights go out, you know? You've got to keep the balls in the air. Do you, Sometimes let me ask you this, do you worry, having written
1: a, a pilot like this uh, a few years ago, do you worry that you're not as smart as your character <laughs>
0: Always. <laughs> right? Because this takes yeah. real smart people. Yeah. And I was in over my head. <laughs> yeah, I have to always kind of refer to some of the best, you know, Remember the Killing by Cooper? Sure. That's a great heist story. Mm-hmm. So I've got to think about, okay, with well, great heist stories? What do they do to keep you off balance? Yeah. They throw so many red herrings at you, so many things at you, that you go this direction and you come back over here. Yeah. And you have to keep doing that to keep people kind of engaged so at the end of an hour there at the end thinking this guy is going to get killed <laughs> you know, or his wife's going to leave him yeah or the baby's going to like hit the button and all of a sudden the cops gonna come anything that could keep you at the edge on the end of the pilot yeah. end of the episode that's what i want
1: It's neat i mean you know. it seems like you're playing with expectations and sort of every aspect of it which absolutely. is really smart absolutely um, yeah that's cool that sounds great absolutely. um lila let's talk about your work habits
2: yeah <laughs> um so when i'm Actually writing. Right now, I'm in sort of uh, Mm -hmm. pilot production mode, so it's a lot of, like, answering emails. Sure. Uh, (laughs) I feel like my entire day is answering emails. Uh, But when I'm writing, I am an exclusive morning person. I am, and people will see this if they're ever in a room with me, I... Am progressively like less useful as the day goes on, and like if we stay after dinner, like eh, not great. <laughs> right. uh, but like at the beginning of the day, I am light with mm-hmm. it. So I usually will try to do writing from like eight to one and focus and sit down and uh, really like get into it, uh, and then have the rest of the afternoon to like. Answer emails sure. and, like, you know, realistically the of it, watch yeah. some TV. Uh, <laughs> now I have a baby, so it's mostly that. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> um, and when you're working on, say, for example, this pilot, um, which you, you wrote some time ago. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you working off on Outline? How are you working yes, on Yes,
2: I am an obsessive outliner, mm-hmm. uh, and I have to. Whenever I do have to turn in things to network or studio, I have to, like, sure. significantly rein it in because <laughs> I right? will... It's my outlines for myself are the scene not formatted correctly. Like, it's full of dialogue, it's full of everything because I hate first drafts. Like, I hate seeing the blank page. It stresses me out so bad. And I'm like, I want to get all the hard work done before I start writing dialogue. And then, you know, I'm a comedy writer, so then it's just like jokes. It's the fun part. Uh, So, my outlines are like, for a half hour show, frequently like 10 pages long because I'm just like an insane person. so, I like to work off an intense outline. And I like to break up, I like to break everything into tiny tasks. So, like when I'm starting a new pilot, it's like, Today I'm just going to write a long line, man. Uh, mm-hmm. That like, is a tiny task. It's a tiny <laughs> task. And then I do and I'm like, great, I didn't treat myself today. Uh, and
0: then, That's a great trick. treat myself thing. I like that. Uh, and That's really a great trick, though,
1: for right. getting the work done. But you're done.
2: not, and you're not, like, scared of it then. Exactly. Uh, and it doesn't like, seem insurmountable. In a little place of, like, Absolutely. happy anticipation where now you're yeah. thinking about it. Uh, and then, like, the next day it's like, okay, I'm just going to, like, you know, loose-break it, like, and then I'm going to tightly weave it. I do very much, like, a very much, like, a writer's room process, but it's Mm -hmm. just myself, like, walking around my office like a crazy person, (laughs) uh, talking to myself. Um, So, that's (laughs) pretty much my process, and then I'll get to the outline, which will take me, like, a week, and then Mm -hmm. the a script itself usually only takes me like two days because uh, yeah. I can just I know what it is and I can just sort of bang it out.
1: And you've basically done your first very draft. bad,
2: but uh, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> then you then you make it better. That's
1: <laughs> that's, that's a very healthy process. It's
2: uh <laughs> it's a uh, it's been honed over time, but it is just sure. a total jack of light like, writer's room processes. Yeah, just on my own, and it's always brutal. I'm sure you guys have been in the situation like when you've just gotten out of a room and you're like writing something new, and you're like I. Don't recall how to do this at all.
1: <laughs> <Like>, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. The
3: blank screen panic. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. a blank screen slash empty room panic? <laughs> My God, uh, you're like, yeah. is anyone going to help that. me with this? Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> uh, we're in that in, in that place right now. Yeah, who's helping us with this? You right. Exactly. Yeah, you're on your own.
1: So, so you were on your own for this. You you had yes. the uh, you had the ideas. You sort of formulated this pitch. Yep. you knew what the series was. What happens when you're told to go write it?
3: Well. Because it's network, there are very, very specific demands on what you are expected to turn in mm-hmm. and the dates at sure. which you're supposed to turn oh, it in. Yeah. In, I mean, I sold the pitch. You know, done. How then, you said it was
1: late in the season, by
3: the way. I nice mean, we're, we're talking. Oh God, maybe it was August. Okay, yeah, not like no, crazy not late, too late, but not. People had been pitching since June. Yeah. So uh, maybe it was like the end of August. Um, so they immediately needed me to turn around a. And they're very strict a Exactly two page, not one sentence. Past two page story document. So it's all the character, a logline, all the characters, and then basically an overview of the show. Hmm. Because then that's who the, what they give to their bosses, who maybe weren't in on the pitch, and they just kind of have it for their files.
1: But it's an overview of the show, not specifically the pilot.
3: Uh, yes, okay. correct. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then with a list of all the characters.
1: Right. And that has to be pretty helpful, anyway. I mean, it, it, it must, is. it's yeah, part it's, of that same process. That I mean, Lila it's Lila helpful for them. Describing. It's not
3: helpful for me because <laughs> I already. It's just basically taking my pitch and condensing it. It's a little bit of a task. But if it's helpful to them, and then what happens is, of course, the studio then gives you notes on it. So then you have to go back and, like, tweak this. And then, anyway, it goes back and forth a few times. Then they had a very strict... Uh, schedule for the outline, and the outline can only be 15 pages top, single spaced, formatted a certain way, and it needed to be in in formatted. two weeks. Jesus. So, yep, they sent me the format. I mean, oh. it's really wow. gotten like this is the way you do things. I'm uh. not necessarily used to that as much, although I had just come off of a network show, so no. like some of that was. Right. But but I wasn't writing a pilot, so the difference is on a network show, they already know the characters. You're not filling in backstory. I, you know, this is like you're not only trying to tell you know introduce all these characters you're trying to introduce tone which in a show like mine is very specific and sometimes hard to get across because it's not very serious and it's not very silly it's yeah. somewhere in between so then I, I you know when i have two modes i'm on and off when i'm <laughs> on it is like i get up in the morning like Breakfast with the kids. Goodbye. They go to school, and I'm there from like nine. I walk the dogs, and then I'm like nine a.m. to six p.m. Wow. I like forget to have lunch. I lose weight, which is great. <laughs> um, I this try to walk unhealthy. the yeah. I try to walk the dogs in the middle because it's actually it's like the shower principle. Like right. all my mm-hmm. best ideas come when I'm walking my dogs. You know? um, and I just literally like a like an engine. I just like work through it, and I will work wow. all day. I'm super disciplined that way. But, like, for example, if I'm not actually writing a pilot, like, I could go for two months without (laughs) ever doing anything (laughs) easily. But, anyway, so then I had to write this outline, and then they give you notes on the outline, they have to redo the outline, and blah, blah, blah. But they really, what was crazy this year, and ABC, I love you guys, but this was tough, (laughs) um, and I've already finished it by the time this airs, um, is they actually, from the outline, and, again, this is an hour-long show, and it's a pilot, They gave me two and a half weeks to write the whole script. (gasps) Wow,
0: wow, that's no time at all. That's That's correct. Really unusual. And they
3: were really strict. And guess what? I didn't do it. (laughs) I just was like, I'm sorry, I can't. So I turned it in after about three and a half, four weeks. What do you think that was about?
0: They want to shoot it.
3: Well, I think they just have their (laughs) grid. They They have a lot of. You know what? They just have a lot of projects. They want to make sure that like they don't get all. 17 right. drama scripts at the same time, but they're right. thinking more about their workload than the writer's right. process. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah,
3: I just ignored it, yeah. and I just did what I needed to do. I was <laughs> incredibly lucky in this particular go-round that my producer, Sabrina Wind, who is amazing, was able to, during Outline, really sit down with me and kind of act as my writer's room.
0: That's great. Because that's
3: really helpful is having, even if it's, and she gives me a lot of great ideas, but even if it's just me saying my ideas out loud to somebody Mm -hmm. else and then hearing them, it helps me sort of hone them down. So she was really helpful. And by the way, she also is quite brilliant, but it was also just great to have someone to bounce my ideas off of because without her, but then my writing process is completely solo. Mm -hmm. Like I go from the outline and then actually, you know, the outline gets approved and then the network gets it and then they have notes and then it gets approved again But the truth is, actually, when I went to write the script, the outline, because they had wanted so many things in it, I had like 58 scenes, like some ridiculous amount of scenes, you know, because it's like, we would need a scene with this, we need a scene with that. So you're like putting all these ingredients in, and it's like, but it only needs to be 51 pages. So How? It's basically a montage. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. (laughs) So I ended up having to redo the outline, you know, completely taking things out and moving them around without their approval, but knowing that. It was going to be a better script,
1: and so much of the stuff that I'm sure they're asking for is going to be—it's all in there anyway.
3: They just—they like to see it literally written out in the outline.
0: That's interesting. I had the same thing. I had an outline, and it took me uh, maybe about three or four weeks to write. They gave me no time limit. They just said, you know. FX is like, we don't have a time label right, or right. anything. so We're cool. We're cool. <laughs> Whatever you get it done, send it to us. And So I worked with Pam Vise. Um, she's brilliant, great producer. And I sent her things. She gave me some ideas, some back and forth. We turned it in. And they said, Well, we have one note. Can you just change this? And I said, Okay, go to, go to script. <laughs> I was like, shocked. I said, Okay. Ridiculous. So I'm <laughs> like, Okay. I mean, great. I, it's I, I, never I, been this way. I don't not not in my career. That, that
3: <laughs> I find great. that premium cable they just let people do their own thing mm-hmm. and it's not that they're micromanaging me. <laughs> but they are. But um <laughs> They want to know, and you, it's also by such a giant committee. Like, at FX, you probably have one or two executives on two your executives. project. Yeah. I have, like, 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have three at the studio, and then they give it to the whole department, and then I have three at the network, and they give it to the whole... So it's, like, just a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And they're all incredibly supportive. And every time I've gotten notes, even if I don't necessarily agree with what they would pitch as their solutions or exactly what the note is, every time I'm given another pass, it does get better. So... So they're good at yeah. their job. So it's yeah, yeah so yeah. it's good You're to have that process. Yeah, sure. I'm a hundred percent every single That's pass I've done has gotten closer to what it should be. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just a little agonizing. Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You're hearing and a fast. chorus of voices. Yeah, it's fast. And fast. I mean, what's interesting also at ABC is their studios is that when you write a pilot script, you know, you give it to your producers and your producers give you notes, and then you give it to the studio. Now you'd think your executive would read it first, give you some notes. They give it to the whole team. They give it to <laughs> wow. every single person in the department, including assistants, mm. and everyone gets around Go goes, goes around and talks about it. I mean, it's kind of nuts. How like, do that's, you
1: how do you take those <laughs> notes? Like, how do you you must be given you know dozens of notes for every pass. Well,
3: your executive and the head of the department whittle them down. Like, right. okay, you know, we agree with this note, we don't agree with that. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of like little nippy things. Yeah. Some of them. You know, sometimes there's a consensus. Like, okay, we don't understand the motivation of this. Okay, that's not coming out right. Right. But they've mm-hmm. been, by the way, they've been incredibly supportive, and it hasn't been yeah. that bad. It's just, yeah. it's a lot. It's like a lot, you're a lot of pleasing voices. a lot of voices, Absolutely. so you're constantly going back and
1: forth. Huh. Hmm. Um, I want to shift gears for a moment and talk about uh, how you guys got your starts in this business and. Uh, I'm curious to know, what's the first thing you got paid for? Uh, and Lila, I want to start with you. What oh, was the wow. first piece of writing you got paid for? You
2: know what? I, In terms of comedy writing, I actually had been a non-comedy writer before. I was a <laughs> Is there even a name for that? Uh, I don't know. I was a professional blogger. Uh, really? I worked yeah, I worked for Menu Pages slash New York Magazine, writing a food blog about Boston from New York. Uh, right. <laughs> but I started doing stuff at... wait. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. uh Yeah. How were you doing this? <laughs> it was food news. It wasn't like okay. restaurant right. reviews. It was Grub Street, uh, which I think now only is this New York, but for mm-hmm. a brief time, they're trying to take national. Uh, it was a weird job. That's funny. Um, but while I was doing that, I started doing Upright Citizens Brigade stuff. Uh, and through that, the first comedy writing I got paid for was one of the big ad agencies. I forget which one. Had a bunch of us from UCB come in. And, right, they had – it was an ad campaign for Zertech, and it was, like, a game that you could play online, and it was a dog that, like, was – uh, the dog went on adventures of things that you might get hay fever doing, but you had to, like, try to win what? an iPad. But, oh, no, we weren't sure it was an iPad. It was a tablet. We were specifically sure. instructed to say tablet repeatedly. And they'd filmed all these things with a talking dog, but they didn't know who the star was going to be, and now they knew the star was going to be Queen Latifah. So they sent us in for a day, and they were <laughs> like, you need to write dialogue for Queen Latifah. <laughs> and we what? were all, that was pretty much our whole day was all, it was just us was like, what? What are we doing? I don't think they used anything, because we were like, I don't know, you already shot all the bits with the dog, and it was right. Queen Latifah like, popping up in the corner and being like, that's a hard maze.
1: <laughs> <Weird>. <laughs> How did you wind up in this room? Was it
2: through UCB connection? It was through that dog. Um, <laughs> did you know that dog? <laughs> uh, no, yeah, so I was doing a bunch of stuff at UCB, and I sort of like, you know, I graduated college, and I was kind of like, uh, what am I doing with my life? Uh, and I... I had gone to a performing arts high school and I'd remembered enjoying doing improv there. So I started taking class at UCB mm-hmm. and I did improv and I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I did sketch writing. And I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. This is it. This is mm-hmm. what I want to be doing. Um, and I, you know, it very quickly sort of took over my life. Uh, I was on a bunch of their house sketch teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I taught sketch there. I wrote a couple shows that ran at the theater. Uh, I had a web series with a bunch of people from the theater, uh, including Kate McKinnon, who's on SNL now, called Badge Magazine that I co wrote with my <laughs> friend Caitlin. Uh, it's uh, about a hipster third wave feminist magazine. It's <laughs> truly my favorite thing I've ever done, probably. Uh, and I wrote it with my friend Caitlin guy. Uh and That's all a those. Show. It's a yeah. show, That's uh, great. and all those things sort of got me. A little bit of tension. I had a manager who was not great, but he had basically been—I finally, I learned later—like cold calling this agent at ICM hmm. about me. Wow! Uh, and I was literally, you know, I was like living in New York. I was uh, young. I was like super broke. I was literally at my babysitting job, and I got a call <laughs> from this great. terrible manager who I hadn't heard from, from months, and he's like, hey, so this agent ICM wants to represent you, and you have a showrunner meeting on Skype in an hour for this wow. show, uh, Nest Caller. Um, and the baby did me a real solid t- a three-hour nap. <laughs> <laughs> very lucky. And it was very lucky. Um, and I had, you know, I was living in New York at the time. Mm. And and well, this is Stephen
1: Falk's show, This is a Stephen right? Falk's show, was, so I had to
2: Skype with Stephen. Was his room in New York? His room was in New York, but you know, of. I had like a two-second talk with this agent who was like, basically like, you've done these memes before. I was like, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all I've done is unsubmit, unsuccessfully submit 200 Fallon packets. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> that's what you do when you're a comedy
2: writer in New York. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and he was like, okay. So he didn't mention it was in New York, and so I'm freaking out. Like, I was like, oh, interesting. okay, if I got this, I guess I could just move to LA. I don't know how to drive, but I guess i just just like, live near the <laughs> studio This was like, before Uber uh, and, like, just figure it out. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. And so I out, and I'm, i like, on the Skype call with Stephen and he has, like, his dog and his cat hanging yeah. out. Uh, and, at the like, towards the end, he's like, so the room's going to be in Astoria. And I was like, just be cool, Lila. Just be cool. Okay. <laughs> and, and so that was in New York, but I knew, obviously, that I was never going to find an, and this was by the way like I realized later after staffing season like yeah. this was June it was uh, an time I remember and he was time. yeah he was like still looking for female writers uh, yeah. and so it was this total flute thing and then I got it and I was like oh staffing's really easy like I don't know why people make such a big deal about it and then the next year I had Thirty one meetings and didn't get staff on that first <laughs> show. So <laughs> that sounds, that, sounds more, uh, that was that was more accurate. More accurate. Um, That's funny, but yeah. And so it was in New York, and then I knew that I was never doing another job mm-hmm. there. Although, ironically, like a year or two later, I think I could have probably stayed because so much yeah, stuff they started. started. Up. Uh, but. So when that got canceled again, mid-production before it aired, that was, uh, <laughs> let me interrupt
1: for a second. Like last time Falk was here, yeah. which was a couple of years ago. Now he tells that whole story, and I will tell oh, people boy. to go find yeah. that episode. It and listen, is because it's great.
2: It's an insane story. It also, by the way, every show I've been on now, I. I'm Like, is it airing? Mm-hmm. Is it airing great, guys? We're mm-hmm. like a huge success. Right. <laughs> like, the bar is we low. We did it. Yeah. it. I was on fierce. a show once where it did not seem like the network was that into us, and I was like, Oh my god, it's gonna happen again. It's gonna happen again. <laughs> and no one will ever hire me because then Aww. I'm the jinx. Like, <laughs> even though was a staff writer on right. this caller, I'm like, I'm the jinx. I wouldn't hire me. Type would marry, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it aired. Um,
1: uh, so, but from there, so you had now you had the agent, you were sort of now off I had the, the right. agent. I
2: was, yeah, sort of in the system. I sold a pilot to, uh, at the time, ABC Family, mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of helped me move out to sure. L.A., uh, and then I got Awkward a few months after I moved out here. After okay. not getting staffed on Network, I did two <laughs> seasons on Awkward, which was that's awesome. the that delight was... of my life. Yeah. Uh, it's a great show. So it all, it all works out.
1: That's good. Uh, yeah. uh, good. We'll pick up there in a minute. Um, Duane, tell us about the first thing you got paid for writing. Did you start as writer and director, or mm-hmm. did one come before the other? I was always
0: a director and a producer. Okay. And uh, I was always trying to hire writers, and they were terrible. <laughs> I was in Chicago. Okay. I was working at PBS at the time. Oh, and, interesting. And what song. kind of stuff were you directing and producing? Uh, Documentary? Uh, documentaries. Okay. Yeah. And uh, also um, nightly news, mm-hmm. a nightly news show. So it was every single night. You had to get a show on the air. And um, I wrote a screenplay. I was a screenplay writer, you know, and I wrote one. Um, it was a homage to the old uh, bicycle thief called mm-hmm. The Car Thief. <laughs> Nice. And, um, you know, back in the day, it wasn't email that much, so you, I literally put a package in the mail. Sure. And a friend of mine said, send it to this guy at CAA. Um, <laughs> he's a liberal. I said, really? <laughs> I said, how do you know? He said... He had the village voice on the floor when I was in his office. Oh, <laughs> my him. God. So this was a friend who was living out here. He was a friend. He was a, was, he was a film critic, actually. Okay, and he, interesting. And he, uh, his name is Ted Shin. He's gone, rest his soul. This is Preston peace, Ted. But he, uh, he said, send it to this guy. Uh-huh. It was Rob Scheilinger over at CAA. So uh, I sent my script to him you know, and put in the mail. And you know, back then, it, you, all unsolicited screenplays uh, can't be open. They just stamp them, not nice solicit, send it back. And they opened mine because they had a PBS label on it. No <laughs> So funny. They thought, okay, That's must be something for Errol amazing. Morris or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So they opened it up, and the assistant, her name was Jennifer. She read 10 pages and says, was this guy? And uh, gave it to some more assistants. Wow. And then I got a phone call. Like, I was doing pledge. Mm-hmm. I was directing Pledge. Oh my god! Oh my That's god! Camera, camera one, camera two, camera three. Yep. The phone rings in the all booth all day. Call yeah. down. Yeah, and I'm like, the phone rings in the booth. And I was like, okay, hold on, everybody. Camera two, and I'm on talking to this assistant said, hey. <laughs> And she's saying that um, we read your script. Everyone here likes it. Who in town has read it? I said, in Chicago. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, no, this town. I said, no one. You. And she said, good. We'll call you back. And uh, they called back. And uh, when can you come to California? I said, I'm doing a show. I can't right now. Uh, and uh, four months later, I, I came out. And um, wow. a bunch of agents in the room. And they uh, they said, we want to represent you. Uh, we're going to get this thing made, you know, kind of like a Sundance movie, blah, blah, blah. I said, great, great, great. But would you be interested in any assignment work? <laughs> and I said, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got 30 meetings in five days. Wow. That's insane. And I got three writing jobs. That's and
1: crazy. Well, I want to hear about those in a second. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear about, uh, was this Car Thief uh, script the first narrative script you had written, the first fiction you had written? First
0: fiction. I've written a lot of fiction, mm-hmm. a lot of short stories. Oh, okay. Yeah. But this was the first script. First script, yeah. Um, and I never sold that screenplay. I never saw Which it. not surprising. Yeah. But it becomes a great sample, right? becomes a, a calling card. Yeah. Um, what do you think people were responding to? It was really I mean, the writing for me, I look at it now, it was overwritten completely, big. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the story was strong. Mm-hmm. The characters jumped off the page. When I look at it now, I'm like I'm a little scared of these characters, you know. Interesting. They people I kinda like don't want to be around. Yeah. But it's like a play and the propulsion of the story hung on this old movie, the the you know the bicycle thief. Mm-hmm. So I just use Chicago and a car as opposed to a bike and use it as a great sort of a line to create a story and it works a lot. Really and, cool. and people in Hollywood are so interested in old films and how they connect to the they new. They used to be. They used to be, not anymore. <laughs> and uh, it was like, young now. yeah, exactly. So they were like, all the executives were like, oh, my God, we love that film. We were in film school. Uh, you wrote this homage. And that, that's kind of like how it happened. That's funny. So, um, so when you were sent out on these
1: meetings, did they tell you? Do they tell you what to expect? Do they tell you what to do? Do they tell you how to have a meeting? No. That can be a tough thing to learn. No.
0: In fact, um, I remember I had a meeting with Todd Black, um, a great producer. And um, I was talking to the agent on the phone, and I said, he wants you to come in and pitch him something. I said, what are you talking about? He said, pitch him something. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay. Uh, What does that mean? He says, just come in and tell him the next thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I pitched him a movie, and he says, I like it. And you know, I got to write. You know, there you go, you just go. And, I, and then I went to Warner Brothers. I pitched something there. They said, okay. You know, and I went to Fox and I picked something there. I went home with three jobs. So, so it was like, did you have all of these ideas
1: just bottled up? Like it feels like yeah. that first script must have been open, opening a floodgate for you.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of. I mean, we all, as writers, we yeah. we're sitting around with ideas in our heads and stories that we've been wanting to tell for a long time. and That clear, I, I had about ten, mm-hmm. and with true big characters and three-act structure and all kinds of stuff. And I just sort of told him all the stories. And yeah. one story particularly I told, uh, I wrote as a pitch, uh, as a, a spec a mm-hmm. couple of years later, and I sold that to DreamWorks, oh. uh, to uh, Spielberg directly. And he wow. was, he was like, I'm buying your pitch, I'm buying your, your spec. I'm, you know, How long have you had this story? I said, a <laughs> long time. <laughs> so, so these stories, you know, yeah. I had them all, all in my head. The the, and there's
1: something, too, and, and I think, you know, you guys have all touched on this, is there's something to the stories we have to tell, right? The stories we feel passionate about are the ones that people respond to. Well, mm-hmm. that, Absolutely.
0: that one you were just talking about, about the women in the, in the marketing, you know, it's something you feel. You feel you have yeah. time. You want to tell it. And uh, the story, the one I sold to DreamWorks was like my mother's father's story. Oh, wow. I It was uh, sitting in the back of my head for many years. I said, okay, I got to write this. I just finished working on Angel Street. Mm-hmm. And the show got canceled. So I had two months. I wrote it in one month. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 just a, out, right?
1: it just comes out, Fever It
0: just comes out of you. So.
1: That's
3: great.
0: Uh, Kayla, I want to pick up the same question
1: with you. How did you get your start? What was the first piece of writing that you got paid for?
3: Uh, well, non-screening, screenwriting, um, when I was a junior in college, I wrote a travel guide. This is all pre-internet, called Let's Go. So I traveled to Italy, and I wrote Let's Go Italy and Let's Go Rome. Oh, sure. I remember and then, those. Yeah, those remember those. Great. Yeah, so that was in college. That was my first I like, paid... I used in England. Yeah, <laughs> Yep. <well, laughs> I used
2: them everywhere. Yeah.
3: So I wrote the Italy. Uh, That's hilarious. So I, I wrote parts of all over Italy and Malta, and I wrote Rome. So that was my first piece of writing. So Mm -hmm. then after college, I actually moved to L.A., like, not long after I graduated. And I um, worked—my first job was a receptionist at New Line, and I lasted two days because I hung up on everybody. I could not figure out how to use a phone. (laughs) And then—I mean, they don't teach you these things in college. And then— and then you, I, Let me interrupt for yeah. a sec. Did you move out with the
1: intention of writing yes. for a living? Yes. Okay. I moved so out. With you knew. The,
3: yes. Mm-hmm. There was like a, when I was in college, there was like a mass exodus or just the beginnings of the mass exodus from college to out, from mm-hmm. East Coast to here. There were a yeah. lot of people I went to school with that were out here. I had a friend who'd graduated ahead of me and like I moved in with her. It was just there was like a lot of people coming out at that time. It was sort of the golden age of TV. I mean, there was a billion things on the networks. There weren't there wasn't cable yet, but there were multiple, multiple shows. I mean the anyway. So um the first writing so then I was an assistant for a year, a terrible, terrible assistant. Which really <laughs> goes to show like I really spent more time it was not, I didn't want to be an executive Mm -hmm. so my sort of motivation and skill set was not geared towards being a good secretary, (laughs) it was geared towards like having an opinion and doing my own thing and actually what happened was at the company that I worked at, which was Industry Entertainment, back then it was called Addis Wexler um, my strength was writing and I wrote all the coverage for the whole company Mm -hmm, and a lot of the other assistants didn't have that sort of skill so I was given a billion scripts to read which is my number one advice to everybody who's thinking about being a screenwriter is don't watch movies read screenplays obviously watch movies but don't just watch movies read screenplays and I was really lucky that I had a full year of like reading and analyzing screenplays and then having to pitch them to these very intimidating bosses
1: do you Um, remember stuff that came across your desk that uh, we might know
3: um let's see god this was that you responded to um I can't even remember now. No. I can't. I'm so sorry. Sometimes those
1: stick out for people. There
3: were a lot of like there were. They did a lot of independent stuff. So there was like a couple of Julie Taymor like Master and Margarita. Did they ever make that? I think they made that. Oh, Some Michael made Tolkien. It. He had already done The Player, but the New Age they were developing. Mm-hmm. There were a couple things. Right. Yeah, that
0: was a good agency
1: too.
3: Yeah, they, they were management. Yeah, yeah like um, they were good.
1: So you learned so much. Right? I learned like a ton. You just internalized. So yeah, much of and that I was stuff. able
3: to kind of see that end of it, and that. Also, there were all there were incredible managers. Mm-hmm. This is when Rick Yorn was first coming up, and Julie Julie Yorn, who was then Julie Silverman, and I'm still friends with a lot of those people mm-hmm. and have good relationships. In fact, one of my agents is a former manager there. Oh wow. Like I've known him That's since fine. I was an assistant. Yeah. Anyway, were, were you writing on your own during I was, all this time? I had a partner. Oh, I was you? writing with a partner, a male partner. Um, who was my boyfriend at the time and our very first job was working on a sketch show called All That. Sure. I remember so all we that. So we were the very first it was just me and my writing partner and Dan Schneider. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so that it was in pre-production in LA they had this was the first start And then after eight weeks, we, like, wrote a billion sketches. They moved the whole show to Orlando, where they actually taped it. And he was a maniac, and we were done. And I'll (laughs) say, I don't care. Go ahead and see me. He was crazy. That was my intro to writing. I mean, my very first day, I told someone else this story, my very first day of my very first writing job in Hollywood, my very first morning, sitting around this small table, he literally turns to me, this is now my boss, and says... Women aren't funny. Name one funny woman. Why did you hire me? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> well, I had a male partner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, why, why the hate? Uh, yeah. Why I mean, the hate? You just hire me. <laughs> some people yeah. are like that. He's, Notorious. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was my first experience. And then from there, I wrote a few more things with my writing partner. We ended up splitting up, just uh, going our separate ways. We're still friends. And I wrote a screenplay on Spec. And then I sold the screenplay to new line where I had, ironically, been fired several years previous for being a terrible Hanging receptionist after two, year, two days. <laughs> oh yeah, um, That's great. and so then from there I started selling. Mm-hmm. Movies and TV pilots, yeah. and I worked with John Landgraf and wrote a couple pilots. You and get a little of that momentum. Worked, right? And then I had a deal at Twentieth, and then I got an Ally McBeal, and then it just all. And then I wrote sure. movies, and
1: so that first uh, spec feature that you did on your own was it the sort of thing we've been talking about? Was it the movie you had to write, the story you had to tell?
3: You know, I think it was half and half. I mean, it was something that was very familiar to me, and it was done at a certain time. It was when, like, Scream and all those movies were coming out. And I said it in an all-girls high school, which is where I went. And I'm, it was sort of this funny, dark, heathersy. It was mm-hmm. basically Mean Girls before mm-hmm. Tina Fey was on the scene and had written Mean Girls. Like, it was Mean Girls, basically. So it was a story that, at that point, was very familiar to me. And, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know the world. Yeah, I was you young. Yeah, on yeah. It I, this was not a movie about, like, you know, the Holocaust or something. This was just... <laughs> A fun, dark, but it got me a ton of work. I mean, apart so, from it selling and that happening, it also got me a lot of other jobs.
1: Well, it seems like it was a tone, a very specific tone. Yeah. And, and you've been asked since then to sort of not recreate that tone, but to work in very specific tones.
3: I have, but and I've I mean, also... At
1: the stuff even that that you're that has yeah. been made that is out there, like Ally McBeal and... Right. Like, these are all, they're, they're not generic, right? Like, this is not some no. dumb procedural.
3: No. And in fact, but they all are pretty varied. I mean, I yeah. literally went from Up All Night, which was like a comedy with mm-hmm. Christine Applegate and Will Arnett and My Rudolph, a goofy thing about parenting. Mm-hmm. I literally, the show went down, I left, and immediately started writing Flowers in the Attic, which is about an abusive grandmother and incestuous grandkids. So How I did really— you become the person to write that? You know, it's— Did you pitch on it? I did not pitch on it. I was really <laughs> lucky in that my friend was the executive and knew my writing and knew me and knew and called me one day and said, do you know this book? Are you interested? And I was like, done. Want it. <laughs> when do I sign up? Oh,
1: my God. Well,
3: yeah. oh, sometimes it happens
1: that way, too. <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, that's a fluke. But that also, keep in mind, that's like I've spent yep. decades working in the business. Like, she wasn't going to call someone who'd never written a screenplay before. Absolutely. And they needed it written quickly and they needed it in a certain tone. Yeah. So... It all worked out. No, you know, these things, they come together, right? Yeah, you, you have you to earn those. Time. You earn your luck, yeah. you know? Well, it's called I think being, being
0: a craft person. That's
3: you, right. You know, yeah. you know the
0: craft. Yeah. Like a good actor, they have the craft down, the emotions come, but the craft is, is, a, is a baseline. And the you only the way craft. to learn it is to do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to ask you guys, just a quick thing about pitching, since you've all done that somewhat recently. Um, really, just kind of generally... What are some pitching tips? What are things, you know, I think there are a lot of young writers going out, maybe in the situations that you guys are in, where they're pitching for the first time and don't know what that is. What would you, what is some advice uh, that you have learned or that you have to give that, that was helpful to you?
3: I mean, I always tell people, in fact, I had a friend from college come in from Berlin and he wanted to pitch something, so I sort of talked him through the process. We're storytellers, that's what we are. So just imagine you're at a dinner party, And you have the attention of all these people, and they want to hear you tell a great story. That's it. Just be really interesting and tell your story and be honest and be real. And, I mean, I always like to start the pitch with some kind of personal, like, if it's a TV pitch, I start with, like, why I like the story and what the story means to me and how I came up with the idea. And then I kind of tell the story. And that's it. It doesn't have to be cheesy or unnatural or stilted. It's just... And some people are just more naturally extroverted so they're better pitchers. It doesn't mean they're better writers, but <laughs> yeah, well it's a different it is a very it different It is a different skill, but I skill think set. That, that mm-hmm. advice really is the most important thing. It's you're a storyteller. Story. You're at a dinner party and you're trying to impress a group of people. Tell a great story.
0: No pressure. I agree. <laughs> agree. I agree.
2: If it's comedy, there should be jokes. Yeah, Uh, there should be jokes in the pitch. Although it's very embarrassing because, like, you know, you're trying to tell a story and you always try to act casual about it, and it's so embarrassing when you start like attaching a producer and then they come along and then they see the party thing where it's like, you know, it's like da da da, where you act like it's a joke that you've come (laughs) up with at that moment. It's very embarrassing to do it again. Uh, But I think that it's worthwhile, seeming funny uh, if you're trying to sell something funny.
1: One hundred percent. Um, I'm curious about pitching something that is so highly serialized, uh, as um, you've just done.
0: Yeah, I, I'm always thinking about. Um, I treat it as a movie, mm-hmm. and you know, that just, makes sense. I, I do because I'm a film writer, and and then I think about it. Okay, what are going to be the cliffhangers on each hour? You know, these, these characters are going to be going through. Mm-hmm. So, I think in this particular pitch, I had to think about. Um, we know the ending. Uh, but then we had to create uh, and this is of course um, bridge that Pam Vise came up with of creating a story within a story mm-hmm. and we had to create a whole like um, um like a thing in the middle of the story where he may be lying about the whole thing, and the story is a big lie, mm-hmm. like our usual suspects. Mm-hmm. so we had to create that and that became really great for our pitch when we were pitching the story fifteen minutes into it, you kind of pull the rug out right you can take him on You right yeah. take them on the ride That's so. Cool. I tend to do What you're saying Tell a good story But I always start well, Imagine if mm-hmm. You know Imagine if Imagine if uh, When I'm telling Because I'm always telling A dramatic story Imagine if You know yeah. And Brings people in Brings them closer Absolutely. to you like, like What'd you just say you know, <laughs> And you Imagine if And that to me Is a, a good way to start That's great I have some practical things To yeah. it I never want to sit On the couch No What well, said No I sit in the chair I don't sit on the That's chair. That's a power move. I, it's a power move. I sit in the chair that he Do or she is going to sit in. I sit on that chair because you're on the couch, especially if you're alone, you're there by yourself, and you look real small on that couch. Sometimes
2: you sink into the couch a little exactly. bit. Exactly, right? it's very embarrassing. Exactly.
0: I sit. I don't want to sit in the middle of the couch. I don't want to sit in the end. I want to sit in the power chair. You know. I think you're right. We have to go and talk about some things that are personal to you and things that they kind of want to talk about a little bit. And you go right into the story. And bring them in to this story, kind mm-hmm. of mysteriously. Hold them up a little high, a little bit, and then sure. bring them down. You it's know. a campfire story. Absolutely, right? yeah. Make it's them insane. make them feel really like engaged. I likes it. It And
3: the chair. element of surprise is really important. Like yeah. one of the things that I did in my ABC pitch, and I made sure to put in like. As I'm telling this story, I suddenly hit them with a huge surprise kind of towards the end. And literally, the executives started clapping. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were so ex- – you know, you could tell. Yeah, like, awesome. it wasn't a straightforward yeah. story. It was – and you can do this in comedy, too. I mean, mine is a dramedy pitch. But they were like, <gasps> you know, I mean, that is part of the element of telling a good story. is exactly. It doesn't have to be the exact plot, but enough of the plot so they understand. Like, and suddenly there's this twist. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Exactly. I mean, another good way to – I've told people a way to practice pitching – is to pitch a movie that they know, like pitch me Tootsie, oh, how would you pitch me Tootsie and then or whatever yeah. movie the, how would you pitch that's it, a it, it's hard idea. to do usual suspects, but it's a good way to, for people to start exercising that muscle mm-hmm. because they don't have to worry about their own ideas. they just have to worry about how do you come you know how do you have ten minutes to pitch an entire movie that they know well
0: right that's I think, interesting. I think people inherently want to know that you're smart enough to, to write this mm-hmm. movie
3: mm-hmm.
0: so other kind of references. They love to hear it. They want mm-hmm. to know where you are. You know, sometimes references are too obscure. They're like, "What are you talking about?" But some of them they get. You know, so it's really important that they know.
1: Yeah, they want to see your confidence in the material. Yeah. They want to see that you're as smart as they think they are. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> by hiring you. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll wrap up, uh, you guys, by asking what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? Uh, movies, TV, books, anything you want to recommend to the listener. Uh, and Dwayne, let's start with you.
0: Broadchurch Broad church is great. That was a great show. What did you like about it? <laughs> great characters, great backstory, great surprises, uh, great red herrings. And no one, you could count no one out. Yeah. The, the direction was important. They pushed it on people, so you thought mm-hmm. maybe that person, they held long enough in the editing, so maybe that person could be guilty. It was a great, great sort of whodunit. Yeah. And it went right. on a very long time. A little bit disappointed by the end of the second season when they well, I won't tell you much more. I've about heard it. that a few times, but yeah. I thought the third season was fantastic. Very, very. And
1: good. I enjoyed two pretty much all the way through. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: that's a good one. We mm. don't talk about it enough. Lila.
2: Uh, I realize every year when I vote for the WGA nominees, I don't watch any hour longs, uh, no. which is shameful. Um, but I, right at this moment, I am obsessed with Search Party. Uh, I. I'm dying to see how it ends. Apparently, all the episodes are online, but I refuse to watch them that way. Uh, but I think that they've done incredible jobs with like, genre, but still being joke-heavy while also being really dark. I think John Early should get between 12 and 14 <laughs> Emmys for his performance. Um, I loved the season of Broad City. Uh, I came up at UCB with Abby and Alana, mm-hmm. and I think they're always great. I thought this season was really like, a nice step ahead for yeah. them. Uh, I've been like... Oh, I loved American Vandal on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Did anyone watch that? I've it was, been hearing about it a I've been long. hearing about also, it. Also, great, great, great genre parody, um, but also, like, an incredible job casting, an incredible job uh, just telling a story that had, like, a legitimate mystery, where by the end mm-hmm. I was like, who did do it, though? Uh, <laughs> even though That's it was great. really, mm-hmm. really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm just very into right now, like, anything that feels like it has a really specific point of view. I love Insecure. Uh, I loved Atlanta. I feel like there's just so much right now. I liked this last season of Girls a lot. Uh, I thought it was the best. Like The last two seasons I thought were the best after everyone stopped paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm very into like you know, there's network shows that I love, too. Yeah. I love Blackish, I love Fresh Off the Boat, but I think but that there's... But these shows. Yeah, these auteur shows are, like, what's exciting to me, yeah. and I liked that there's so many opportunities for them now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to add the deuce. I'll allow it. I love it. <laughs> it was lo- really good. I love the deuce. That's some good writing. Yeah. See, they took mm-hmm. your Sunday night slot. They did.
1: Well,
0: David <laughs> yeah. Simon. David they, Simon. Give
1: yeah. it to him. He can take like anything he wants. Kayla, what are you watching these days? Huh?
3: Oh, God. I'm sort of glued to MSNBC, which is right. a problem. Yeah, you so, do. So yeah. let's... That aside, which is pretty much two hours of my evening, um, I started watching season two of The Crown because I really Mm. loved the first season. And I'm actually preferring the second season because it's it's just the plotting. I mean, I know it's based on real life, but the actual plotting of it is more interesting. They're making it a little bit more political and grounded in the reality of what was happening. And I'm a huge fan of Difficult People. Mm. I sort of binge watched that. That's one of my favorite comedies. It's completely silly. I don't understand how anyone who was not born in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state area between the years of 1975 and 1985 understands a single reference in it. And I happen to be one of those people that it was born in the- Like, they are so yeah. specific. It is for you. It is literally like they, they d- drilled into my brain. Right. But uh, I really hilarious. like. my watch it with my Irish husband, and he's I have to kind of stop it and explain. The good thing is he's Irish, so I have to stop all of our British stuff and all of our Irish <laughs> right. stuff and Scottish shows because he's. He did a show called Love Hate, and I'm like, Wait, what are they saying? What are they doing? And
1: hilarious. And I'm watching
3: Nightfall. What's
1: Nightfall? Nightfall. It's on
3: History Channel. It's like the new holy. It's the new. Um, it's like the new Vikings. It's oh, all about okay. the search of the Holy Grail. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Cool,
1: check it out. Thankful. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Okay. I appreciate thank you for it. having Congrats us. Congrats on all of thank your you wild successes. Thank and, you. Uh, we look forward to hearing more
3: from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now leaving, Nerdist.com